This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. For Rob Hart, I'm Jim Goodis. Record high prices for fertilizer will affect the global food supply, and we'll learn more in our next segment. But right now, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is vowing tough action to control inflation. And to talk about that, we're joined by Carl Riccadonna, the chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg out of New York. So... Carl, your thoughts on uh, what the Fed's talking about and what it means moving forward? Well, we heard from Chair Powell uh, yesterday as he spoke to the National Association of Business Economists uh, here in Washington, D.C. I'm at uh, day two of the conference at the moment, actually, uh, as Mark uh, Carney is uh, receiving a, uh, a Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, but uh, yesterday, in uh, the chairman's uh, remarks, he made it very clear that the Fed is willing to open the uh, potentially Pandora's box of 50 basis point uh, rate increases, which is something the Fed hasn't done in quite some time. This marked a, a notable change in tone from his uh, comments in the press conference of last week's FOMC meeting. Uh, and uh, now not only is the possibility of one 50 basis point hike uh, being considered, but possibly that the Fed would embark on 50 basis point uh, hikes or, or half percentage point, I should say, uh, at uh, each of the next two meetings. So this is a Fed that is becoming very aware of inflation risks in the economy and is showing increasingly uh, increasing willingness to act very forcefully uh, to uh, contain uh, those risks. Carl, you mentioned the Pandora's box. So what are the thoughts about the Fed's approach? Is it enough? Is it not enough? Is it perhaps too much? Uh, well, the uh, concern from the Fed is that it's too little too late. And if they let inflation run hot for too long, they could start to destabilize uh, public expectations around inflation. And when that happens, uh, then it requires a, a much more uh, harsh or dr- draconian uh, response uh, to uh, to put put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. Uh, so, th- you know, the Fed is very concerned that they're moving from a very accommodative, what I would call a hyper-accommodative policy stance. They inflated their balance sheet. Uh, Interest rates were at zero until just last week. Now they're still just slightly above zero. Uh, And the economy is on a a much firmer footing as the pandemic becomes endemic. Uh, And the unemployment rate is uh, well below uh, 4% now, uh, moving lower as the year wears on. So the Fed realizes that, you know, to use the old uh, uh, analogy, uh, the the party is uh, definitely getting uh, out of hand and it's time to start uh, taking away the punch bowl. How much of this, in the sense of what's fueling inflation, is an unprecedented set of circumstances, and how does that affect the Fed? I mean, we've is it something where even the Fed isn't exactly sure where things are going to go forward, so they're trying their best to accommodate, or do they do have a pretty good idea of just what is fueling prices, and more importantly, what's going to be fueling prices down the road? Well, Chair Powell made a good point on this uh, front uh, yesterday in his remarks, uh, where he described uh, dumping uh, various scenarios into the Fed's models, uh, turning the crank, 
uh, and uh, seeing what type of economic and inflation outputs come out of those models. Uh, And basically, under none of those scenarios would you get the kind of inflation we're seeing today. So it is definitely catching economists and policymakers off guard of the degree to to which we're seeing inflation pressures uh, flare up in the economy. Add into that all of the supply chain disruptions which are coming from spreading uh, coronavirus in China uh, and all of the uh, disruptions related to the situation in in Russia, Ukraine uh, at the moment. And this uh, just layers in more inflationary pressures. And while the Fed was planning to incrementally move to slowly drain that punch bowl, uh, now they're realizing that there's a real risk that inflation will be so hot for so long uh, that it will really unanchor public expectations of price stability. Uh, and so the, you know, the Fed now ris- you know, realizing that this is an increasing risk, uh, that's the reason they're showing this uh, increased willingness uh, to act much more forcefully to keep the lid uh, on the situation. That's Carl Ruccadonna, the chief U.S. economist of Bloomberg out of New York. So, Carl, as always, thanks for your insight. Coming up, how the Russian invasion of Ukraine will affect the worldwide food supply. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Prices for the raw materials used to make fertilizer are up 30% since the start of the year. And let's look at the effect on the global economy with Jim Welsh, a macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. Website, by the way, to check out Jim, macrotides.com. So, Jim, I know you've been taking a look at this for many, many, many years. And so what exactly is going on and what can we expect to happen as a result? Well, the bottom line is food prices are going to continue to you know, move higher and then are likely to stay higher, uh, primarily because there's going to be less food available uh, due to the increased cost of fertilizers, which I wrote about uh, in my January Macrotides, Jim. Uh, fertilizer prices at that point in time went up a, were up 100%. So what that means for a lot of farmers around the world, they can't afford that big of an increase, so they plant less, which means harvests are smaller. And now with the Ukraine war, all those problems are going to get magnified uh, significantly. So I think a year from now, we're going to see more and more articles about malnutrition and, uh, you know, starvation actually becoming a problem for hundreds of millions of people around the world. Jim, I know there have been efforts to try to reduce our dependence on fertilizer. How are those going? And are they enough to at least somehow mitigate the damage from the rising cost of fertilizer? Uh, I think it's pretty much impossible. Again, we're talking planting season to planting season, Jim, so there's nothing that can be done within the next year to really materially change the dependence and need for fertilizer to boost crop production. So what's happening in Ukraine, uh, you know, they're not going to be even able to plant in many areas. Ukraine produces 10% of the world's wheat production, 13% of corn, 23% of vegetable oils. And the net result is the UN global food price over the last 15 months is up 45%. It's above where it was in 2011, which you may recall, the high cost of food prompted the Arab Spring, which brought the Egyptian government done. So there's a government or you know government instability factor that's likely to play out over the next year because a lot of countries around the world, developing countries, subsidize food, and it's going to be tough for them to do that. And as the food price goes up, 
uh, you know, people are very unhappy when you're spending 40 to 50 percent of your budget is going to food, which is the case in many developing countries. Uh, any incremental increase is a true hardship. So we're going to see waves of instability from this over the next 12 months. That instability, what does that mean for commodity prices and investors there? Well, we've seen a huge spike in commodity prices in, in a sense, anticipation of all this. Um, I think what it means, Jim, and it's a great question, is that we're going to see uh, grain prices hold at a higher level for longer, which is why I said initially we're going to see food prices continue to creep up, but they're not going to come off that high level for quite a while. Because when you miss one harvest, you kind of have to wait 12 months for the next harvest to come by. So this isn't a, a solution that six months from now, oh, yeah, we got a, a, you know, a, a you know, the case solved, if you will. But you got to wait another maybe three to six months to plant wheat and to plant corn for the next harvest. So this is why this is going to stick around for a while. And I think it complicates the Federal Reserve's uh, challenge. That's Jim Welsh, the macro strategist and portfolio manager for Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. You can check out Jim at macrotides.com. Up next, Nike is seeing positive signs of a comeback in China. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Nike's improving sales in China, raising hope for other retailers. And to talk about that, we welcome Jan Rogers Niffen, the CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide in New York. So what exactly is going on with Nike and its sales in China, and what does that mean for others seeking to increase sales there or maybe even expand there? Well, I think we're all worried about China, and we were very worried about what Nike's numbers would look like, and they looked a little better than we thought they would. Um, they were still down a little bit, but they were stronger than people anticipated, and it shows that the market is coming back there. I think the big concern is, you know, they've just done another mini lockdown, if you will, due to COVID, and what we don't know is where that's going and how will it affect both production of goods as well as sales into China. So right now, we've all got our fingers crossed. It looks like China's getting better. Nike's a big player there. They're the number one brand in China, the most recognized brand and the most respected brand. So you would expect them to do well if anybody does. So yes, I guess I think it gives us all hope, but I think the main thing is that it tells you that Nike's doing a really, really good job. They managed to suffer through all the supply chain stuff, all the increases in costs, and beat on the bottom line by a lot. And gross margin was really, really good, telling us they could raise prices faster than costs went up. And that's what the rest of retail has seen, too, across the world. And so I think you have to be pretty optimistic given what you saw Nike just turn in. So who is going to benefit most from the numbers that we're seeing from Nike? And is there any caveat to what we're seeing from Nike in terms of what's ahead in China? Well, there are some big caveats in general. You know, Nike is basically cut by 50 percent the number of uh, businesses that are selling their shoes because they've done so much of it online. Their online business is a quarter of their sales now. And as you move into China, they've started to partner up with people in China to help them sell their shoes, which will be a positive for Nike going forward. But it's really uh, it doesn't really do much for any other U.S. companies. What it does tell the other U.S. companies, though, is there's a business there that's starting to come back and the consumer is willing to spend. And so now it's just how well is your brand recognized in China? And Nike's walked a pretty fine line there, and they've continued, despite being an American company, being very well regarded by the Chinese consumer. That's that's one of the hard things. Anything else out of China or in terms of just retail in general that we, we should be watching right now um, in the wake of these Nike Oh, my numbers? gosh. 
<laughs> yes, I think we're all really worried that even though the supply chain looks like it's getting better and better and better, and a lot of this bet we're making on Nike says the supply chain keeps working, we're not really sure how the war between Russia and Ukraine might put strains on the supply chain going forward, even though the product's not coming out of that part of the world. So I think we're all worried about that. We're all worried about a, a resurgence of a big lockdown, if you will, because of a resurgence of COVID in China. And we look like we're only getting lockdown lights from China, which would be great. It means they're starting to react to it more like the rest of the world is, where they're just accepting that it's there. But we really worry there could be a big lockdown, which could really change the supply chain again, because this latest occurrence was in Shenzhen, which is where basically all the product comes out of. And so I think we're all standing around with Great optimism that things are going to get better in the supply chain. Inflation is going to start to slow down a little bit. We're going to see the consumer be strong. Everybody's working. They've got jobs. We'll see the Chinese consumer come back as well. And we're terrified that one of those things isn't going to be true because of either COVID or the what's going on in Europe with uh, the war regarding Russia and Ukraine. That's Jan Rogers Niffen, the CEO of J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide in New York. Thanks, Jan. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. And these are the headlines on WBBM. Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson defends her record as a federal judge during her Senate confirmation hearing. A special report from CBS Next. There are warnings about the possibility of a Russian-based cyber attack on the U.S. And we'll discuss how to protect yourself. On Travel Tuesday, preparing for a spring break trip, which may be your first vacation in a couple of years. On Wall Street, the Dow up 285, the S&P 500 up 48, the Nasdaq up 236 points. It's 51 at O'Hare at 1231. CBS News special report. Judge Kentaji Brown-Jackson, President Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court, is taking questions from senators about her judicial philosophy and record on the bench as the questioning phase of her confirmation hearings has now gotten underway. I am clearing my mind of any preconceived notions about how the case might come out, setting aside any personal views. Uh, it's very important that judges rule without fear or favor. 
Jen Crawford covers the high court for us here at CBS News. Senator Durbin used his entire 30 minutes to really try to rebut all the concerns that Republicans laid out yesterday that they had about her record. Not only uh, her sentencing for sex offenders, but her judicial philosophy, her views on court packing, her work on the Sentencing Commission, and giving her an opportunity to kind of put out her position before she gets the really intense questions from the Republicans later on as this day progresses. CBS News Special Report. I'm Matt Piper. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets are higher, and we're joined by Chuck Lieberman, the Chief Investment Officer at Advisors Capital Management out of Ridgewood, New Jersey. So, Chuck, what's going on on Wall Street today and why? Well, uh, one of the things that's going on is that the markets are rebounding after a some fear that the Fed was going to tighten quite dramatically. Uh, We're still in the process of adjusting to that. Uh, Stocks are better, uh, but the bond market continues to lose ground. Uh, People are slowly but surely reconciling to the idea that interest rates are simply too low and they have to go up. Um, And the strength of the economy justifies that. We can uh, easily stand it. What's the thought generally on how the Fed is doing? Is, is the Fed doing enough? Is it not doing enough? Uh, any any thoughts on, on what exactly the Fed policy is and what investors are thinking about it? Oh, yeah, that's a really intense debate area. Um, there are a lot of people who think the Fed is behind the curve. Uh, I would say it is almost a consensus view now, uh, but the Fed is doing what it can to try to uh, rectify that view. Uh, the Fed, uh, in a number of statements at the press conference after the FOMC meeting, uh, and then just yesterday, uh, Chairman Powell made it very clear that he would do, quote, whatever it takes in order to rein in inflation. Uh, but in the meantime, the Fed has moved by a grand total of 25 basis points, so they've moved minimally. Uh, But we know that there's a lot more coming. Uh, The Fed has been uh, preempting itself, in a sense, by signaling what it's going to do before it actually does it. And so at the press conference, Powell suggested that the FOMC minutes, when they're released, uh, might suggest uh, uh, that they will start uh, reining in the, uh, the outstanding bond portfolio by selling off or, or allowing bonds to run off. I think everyone now expects that. He also talked uh, about the possibility the Fed could move by 50 basis points instead of 25. So there's a lot more coming, and the Fed has essentially told us that. So you talked about this a little bit, but what should we be watching for moving forward with the Fed? And what are the things to keep an eye on to know what's how best to react to what the Fed might be doing? And what should we anticipate that we might not be hearing from the Fed until it happens? Yeah, great question. So this Fed tells us what it's going to do before it actually does it. So all you have to do is listen to Powell and some of the other senior people at the Fed to get a sense of what their next actual policy announcement will be. To anticipate what they say, you have to watch the data. And the most important data these days, of course, is the inflation data. If the inflation data continues to be on the high side, that tells us that the Fed is going to be under tremendous internal pressure to step up the pace of tightening of monetary policy. Uh, And the other data to look at very closely is anything regarding the labor market. The labor market is the one that's really, in a sense, the the most critical. Um, Labor is scarce. 
unemployment is low and, and falling. And the more uh, uh, the scarcer labor becomes, the more upward pressure on wage rates and the more upward pressure on inflation generally. So if you want to anticipate how the Fed will adjust its policy, even to their public statements, watch the labor market in particular. Um, the unemployment rate is really signaling that the labor market is very tight. That's Chuck Lieberman, who is the Chief Investment Officer at Advisors Capital Management out of Ridgewood, New Jersey. Up next on Travel Tuesday, putting together a checklist for your spring break trip. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday, and many people heading out on a spring break vacation are taking their first trip in a couple of years. And let's get some reminders about being prepared from Joe Brancatelli, the editor and publisher of joesentme.com out of New York. So, Joe, what are some things that we might have forgotten we need to do before we head out of town? Well, it might be good to just start at the beginning and refresh everything. I write primarily for business travelers who used to be on the road three, four times a week. Even they're telling me, oh, I forgot this, I forgot that, I forgot everything. Everything from how long it takes you to get to the airport to how long it takes you to get through security what you should pack. Um, So basically everything's at play. You almost have to treat yourself like you're a new traveler for the first time getting on an airplane. And some of that has actually changed. So what you might have anticipated before the pandemic, I imagine, uh, if this is your first time traveling now, even if you think things are, what was it like before that, even that has changed. So you really kind of, in some ways, some ways have to start from scratch, right, and learn the process over again. Oddly, I'm telling people not only to assume nothing, but also to recheck stuff you wouldn't think of assuming about, like, does your hotel have housekeeping? Many hotels have eliminated housekeeping. So I'm telling people, stick a garbage bag in your luggage. It doesn't take up any room. Um, and, you, you know, if, you, if you're somebody who generates a lot of garbage in a stay, Uh, and somebody like me does because of paperwork and such. Um, Don't expect to be housekeeping every day, so have some place to put your garbage. Possibly pack your own coffee because they no longer service the rooms and there's no coffee pods anymore. I mean, we've never lived in a period like this where you'd have to call a hotel and saying, what kind of coffee pods do you use in your coffee makers? Because I'll bring my own. These are strange times indeed. What else? What other advice do you have for people if who if they haven't traveled for a while and just things that either might slip their mind or something that can just help them have a little easier time as they get back into the travel mode? Well, try and remember your paranoia. For example, if you're the kind of person who drives away from your house to O'Hare or Midway and then think, oh, did I shut off the stove? Well, take a picture of your stove before you leave, you know, and so you can double check yourself. Um, do reconfirm where you would park, how long it takes you to get from a gate to security and vice versa so that you can time yourself better. It really is a matter of these very basic procedures. I mean, airplanes fly, hotels are there, but virtually every way in which we've interacted with the travel experience may have changed in the predominant in the in the passing two years and you should truly just assume nothing make a call find out if that hotel that claims to have a restaurant is actually has a restaurant that's open 
where are you going to get your breakfast if if they've closed the restaurant? These are things you need to do now because we simply have changed the game after two years of pandemic. Joe Brancatelli, who is the editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com. So you can check this out and other great travel tips there. He's out of New York. Thanks, Joe. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, dealing with an internet interruption that could last for days. The best daily deal in Chicago. The WBBM Noon Business Hour. Experts are warning of potential cyber attacks by Russia-based hackers. And let's talk about what steps you can take to be prepared as we bring in Jerry Irvine, the CIO of Prescient Solutions, or Prescient Solutions, a member of the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force here in Chicago. So, Jerry, what do we need to do to prepare for this possibility? Well, a couple things. I mean, the, the potential for... Uh, power outages is great, as the, the government is suggesting that uh, Russia may be targeting our power grids, um, as well as the likelihood of additional ransomware, things of that nature. So we have to maintain security in our systems. But what if the uh, what if the power goes out? If the power goes out, the Internet goes out, right? So the, the likelihood that the entire Internet across the United States would go out is, is very minimal, probably less than 1%, simply because it's distributed across the entire country, and, and there's more than one entryway. There's more than thousands of entryways into the Internet. But if you live in a specific area where your power is affected, you may lose power as well as Internet connection. Uh, so the thing to do would be to have multiple Internet service providers, especially for small businesses, have, you know, uh, two tier one service providers in AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, these large Internet providers that have their own separate power uh, available to them. That way, if one of them goes out, you have an opportunity to use the other and you can you can change over. Uh, as individuals, we can do similarly by having um, perhaps just one additional uh, cell phone with a different provider. So if you have you know, Verizon on one, maybe go with ATT on the other so that uh, you have one emergency one in case the other uh, carrier is completely out and you have no connectivity, either cell phone or Internet. If you have cell phone coverage because you can connect to it, you would have Internet coverage. So assume you're going to lose power, assume your internet provider is going to go down, and be prepared to deal with both by having at least some some kind of battery backed up device, perhaps a phone, and also having that second carrier. That, it's that kind of redundancy that's going to greatly reduce your risk in this situation. Yeah, it's all about it's all about redundancy and, a, and a, some type of you know backup plan, uh, you know, to include potentially, uh, as you mentioned, battery packs or generators. Having a a, a generator, even if your power goes out, uh, because internet access does not require power at your home, if the uh, provider has power at their location, you would still have internet. You'd still have cable. So it's a good idea to to have some type of, of power backup at your home. That's Jerry Irvine, the CIO of Prescient Solutions and a member of the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force here in Chicago. Jerry, thanks so much for that great advice. It'll help a lot of people out if we have those problems. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.